then delivered him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him. On the one side one, and on the other side the other one. And Jesus is in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Then said the chief priest of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the King of the Jews, but that he said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart and also his coat. And the coat was without seam woven from the top throughout. They said therefore among themselves, Let us not rend it, let us not tear it up, but let us cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, They parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things therefore the soldiers did. Our teacher, Dr. John G. Mitchell, was faithful in teaching the Word of God for more than 60 years throughout the Northwest. Our name, the Unchanging Word, reflects the fact that the eternal Word of God is never changed and never will. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to want to welcome you to the biblical passion of Christ as presented in the Bible, the Word of God. We will be listening to the Gospel of John as he presents our Savior's death, burial, and resurrection, and Dr. Mitchell will present what the Word of God reveals concerning our Lord Jesus from what the Apostle John was inspired to write. So thank you for being here with us in this very special season as we focus on our Savior on the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Dr. John G. Mitchell is in John chapter 19, verses 13 through 24 for this lesson, and we welcome you. As Dr. Mitchell walks us through this chapter, we see Jesus delivered over to be crucified. As it was nine o'clock in the morning, Pilate said to the Jews, Behold your king. Jesus, having been led out, was crucified between two thieves he himself in the center. Dr. Mitchell emphasizes that wherever you find Jesus, he is always the center. And Dr. Mitchell will point us to the Word of God where five times Jesus is the center of attraction. He is the focus. So the question is asked, is he the focus of your attention when you read the Word of God? Is he at the center of your life? Good questions for each of us. Now, let's turn to John chapter 19, verse 13, here with Dr. Mitchell, speaking of the centrality of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you. Good day, friends. We continue our studies with you in the Gospel through John, and we're in chapter 19, dealing with the trial and betrayal and trial and death of our Savior. 
We're down to chapter 19 of the Gospel through John. We've already had our Lord before the religious court, and his person was in view. The claims of Christ was the issue. He came before the civil court of Pilate, and his character is the issue. We've been following it through of how Pilate tried to get out of his dilemma. First of all, he said, by offering them Barabbas, they refute, they accepted Barabbas and delivered Jesus up to be to be killed. Then Pilate scourged him, and he's still hoping that he'd get out from the crucifixion of Jesus. But they refused that too. And when they said he made himself the Son of God, this really scared Pilate. And he went in and talked to Jesus, and the Lord wouldn't answer him. And then you remember in verse 12, we have where uh, the Jews cried out, saying, if, if you, Pilate, let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth, sat down in the judgment throne in a place that is called the pavement in the Hebrew, Gabbatha, and it was the preparation of the Passover about the sixth hour, which would be about noon. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. Now remember, this was the third claim. In verse, in verse 5, Pilate says, Behold the man. The Jews said he claimed to be the Son of God. Pilate now says, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate says to him, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Now you'll notice something here, and I want to come back. I want you to mark how Pilate tried to get out of the job. But don't please excuse Pilate. Three times he said, I find no fault in Jesus. I've examined him. I find no fault in him. His first attempt to get out from under was to offer them Barabbas. They accepted Barabbas and delivered Jesus up to be crucified. Then he scourged Jesus, a nefarious thing. You remember, it was Celsus, the Roman historian, who said, to, to scourge a Roman is a nefarious thing. But what shall you say about one being crucified? Do not let even his name be mentioned. They abhor this question of crucifixion. It was generally reserved for the vilest of the vile, for slaves, never for Romans. That's why Peter was crucified. Paul wasn't crucified. Paul was to be headed. Paul was a Roman citizen. Now notice that between Pilate and the Jews, the Jews bowed their necks to Caesar in order to kill Jesus. They crucified one who claimed to be God. I'll repeat that. The Jews who hated Caesar, hated Pilate, are willing to bow their necks to Caesar in order that Jesus should be crucified. We have no king but Caesar. They made a choice between Caesar and Jesus, and they chose Caesar, a pagan emperor, in preference to the Son of God. Again, you come back to this question of choice. The Jews had to choose between Jesus and Barabbas. They chose Barabbas. Now they must choose between Caesar and Jesus. And the leaders chose Caesar. 
they bow their necks to Caesar in order to kill Jesus. Well, what about Pilate? Pilate preferred Caesar. They said, if you let this man go, and I'm sure that the Jews were afraid that Pilate was going to release Jesus, let him go. And they couldn't have stopped him. But they had, a, they had another great argument. If you let this man go, you're not Caesar's friend. Now they bring up a political situation. Not because he's the son of God, but he made himself a king. And anybody who makes himself a king instead of Caesar speaketh against Caesar. And when Pilate heard that, he just says, Behold your king. Then delivered him up to be crucified. What I'm trying to get to your heart is this. These people, the Jews, Pilate, they all had to make a choice. They had to make a choice. Just as you and I have to make a choice. I thank the Lord the time came in my life when I made the choice. Or should I put it the other way? The Lord offered me salvation in Jesus Christ, his son, and I accepted his offer of mercy. I accepted his offer of salvation. I accepted his offer of eternal life. But it's wrapped up in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if I spurn the life and spurn the salvation God offers me, I'm spurning the Son of God who makes that possible. And I feel very sure today as I'm talking to you to someone. You may be religious. You may be a church member. I don't know what you are. But have you really, in your own heart, accepted Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior, as a definite Definite proposition, you willingly accept the Savior. Well, he said, whosoever will may come. You see, Mr. Mitchell, I, I, I hear so much who's right. Jesus said, if any man wills to do his will, he shall know the doctrine, whether it's right or whether it's wrong. The question is, do you really mean business with God? Do you really want to know the truth? And I'm very persuaded in my own mind, if you really want the truth, the Lord will make it known to you. Now, starting in at verse 16 and running through verse 37, we have the crucifixion of our Savior. I would suggest sometime you read the 22nd Psalm, the 69th Psalm, Psalm 22, Psalm 69. And then may I, uh, by the way, I, I mentioned those Psalms because 22nd Psalm starts with, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And in that psalm, you've got the prophetic picture, which was fulfilled here in Matthew 26 and 27, and in Mark chapter uh, 13 and four, chapter 14 and 15. And here we have it in chapter 18 and 19 of John. This question of the crucifixion of our Savior in Luke chapter 23. Uh, but Luke, uh, Psalm 22 Psalm 69. For example, in Psalm 69, I looked for an eye of pity and I found none. And uh, some of the very things in this passage are fulfilled. In fact, they're all fulfilled in the crucifixion of Christ in these four Gospels. The details given, fulfilling the 22nd Psalm, the 69th Psalm, the 53rd of Isaiah, the, 50, the 50th chapter of Isaiah, I give my back to the smiters, I give my cheeks to those who plucked off the hair, I hid not my face from shame or spitting. This is what you have in the first verse of chapter 19. Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. 
And the 50th chapter of Isaiah says, I gave my back to the smiters. I gave my cheeks to those who plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame or spitting. But he that standeth by me will justify me, and so on. In the 52nd chapter of Isaiah, the last verse, his face was marred more than any man's. When was this? I take it here, when he was scourged and his face was smitten by these soldiers. Our Lord was disfigured. And then when you come to 23rd, the 53rd of Isaiah, when our Lord here, when Pilate says, don't you know what I can do to you? And I'm reminded of 53rd of Isaiah, he was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shear is his dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. Stood before King Herod and never opened his mouth. And Pilate said, uh, why don't you answer me? Don't you know I have authority to crucify you? I have authority to let you go. It was then Jesus said, you have no power at all against me, unless it were given to you from above. So you have here, they took him out, verse 16, then delivered him, therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him. On the one side one and on the other side the other one. And Jesus is in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city. And it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Then said the chief priest of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the King of the Jews, but that he said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Let me just stop here for a moment. Here we have where our Lord uh, carrying the cross, just like you have it in uh, Philippians chapter 2. About the 8th verse, he humbled himself to death, even the death of the cross. Remember, the cross is a tragedy without resurrection. The cross is an insult to man's philosophy, to man's religion. The cross says, I'm no good. The cross says, I need a savior. 100% Savior. It's an insult to man. Man says, I'm as good as anybody else. The cross says, you're not. The cross says, you're worthy of death. Jesus became an accursed thing. And he, bearing his cross, went to Golgotha. He was following the divine path. And I believe here you have John, who is an eyewitness of the crucifixion of the Savior. You remember John, I believe, was in the in the, in the hall of Caiaphas when they, when, when they delivered Jesus up to death. As I said a while ago, it was not a trial. They didn't give any, it was no defense, you see. Now you remember in chapter 2, 19 of John, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it again. Now he's going to accomplish that, which he said. Here we come to the final, the final sign, the death and resurrection of our Savior. And there they crucified him. They crucified him, and there were two others crucified with him, one on each side, Jesus in the midst. My friend, may I say, wherever you find Jesus, he is always the center. Even on a cross, he must be the center. He must be the center. 
You see, at his birth, the wise men worshipped the babe. When he was a boy, 12 years of age, he was in the midst of the doctors in the temple, always in the midst, always the center. At the baptism, John goes off the scene and Jesus becomes the center. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. On the Mount of Transfiguration, with Moses the great lawgiver, Elijah the great prophet, and Jesus with them. But God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. He's always the center of attraction. Wherever you find the Savior, he must be the center. Whether it's on the on the Mount of Transfiguration, on the road to Jerusalem, or even on the cross. And where is Jesus today? He's the center of attraction on the throne. The book of Hebrews, four times in Hebrews, mentions the fact uh, in exaltation he sat down on the throne of God. Or as Colossians chapter 1 says, it was pleasing to the Godhead in him, all fullness to dwell, that in everything he might be preeminent. The thieves died because of their sins, but our Lord died for the sins of the world. The Lord died because of your sin. Now, if you want to read the story of crucifixion, the detail, you go to Luke's Gospel, chapter 23, where you have both thieves uh, crucified with the Savior. If I may again bring it up, in Matthew and Mark, both thieves railed on Jesus. But when you come to Luke's Gospel, one of them, uh, apparently his eyes are opened, and he said, we've got a right to die. But this man, Jesus, has done nothing amiss. And he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, Lord's gracious answer was, today you will be with me in paradise. Only Luke talks about the fact that, that he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You don't find that in the other Gospels. That's in Luke. But here in John, very little is said. They took him out and crucified him, and the Lord Jesus is in the midst. He's always the center wherever you find him. Friend, is he the center of your life? You see, when I'm trusting him, that means he's the object of your faith. But is he the center of your life, of your affections, of your love, of your devotion? You see, friend, he can't take a, he can't take a lesser place than that. He must be the center. When you and I, who are Christians, go to glory, we're going to see him. He's the center of attraction. Even on a cross. That's why in John chapter 12, you remember, and I, if I be lifted up, will draw all unto me. This he said, signifying by what death he should die. Even on the cross, the thieves railed on him. I quote Matthew and Mark. Uh, the priests railed on him. The crowd shouted at him. Soldiers gambled over his garments. He's the center. As far as I know, it's the only time when people being crucified railed on anybody else being crucified. But Jesus was in the midst. All hell was arrayed against the Son of God. He's the center of attraction. And I say again, wherever you find Jesus, he's the center. I wonder sometime, is Jesus the center of attraction in your life, in the life of your local church, 
Because if Christ is not the center of attraction, it's just another mere religious meeting. He's got to be the center of attraction. And my heart yearns, not only for myself, but for you, for all of us, that the Lord Jesus Christ will always be the object of our affection and love and devotion. When I think he died for me, he took my place, he took your place, in order that you and I might go free. Then Pilate put on the cross the writing, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Jews said, you change that. You put down, he said, I am the King of the Jews. And Pilate said, I think Pilate was just disgusted about the whole thing. He says, what I have written, I have written. Now, verse 23, then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart and also his coat. And the coat was without seam woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it, let's not tear it up, but let us cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, they parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Now here, verses 20 to 24, or 23, should I say, to 24, you have the soldiers. And it quotes from 22nd Psalm, verses 16 to 18, about them gambling over his garments. They had scourged the Savior. They had stripped him of his raiment. They had crowned him. They had mocked him. They had buffed him. They had crucified him. They spat upon him. Now, very indifferently, they gambled while the Lord of glory died. Cold indifference to the Savior. It's hard to believe, isn't it? It's just hard to believe. These men had scourged and stripped and crowned and mocked and buffeted and spat on the Savior. Now they crucified him. And at the foot of the cross, they indifferently gambled over his garments while the Lord of glory died for you and for me, while the Lord of glory died for them. Here you have real cold indifference to the Savior. Do you know, friend, there are so many today who are just who have the same attitude to Christ. God forbid that you or I should be coldly indifferent to Christ dying for us. By the way, do you know when I say that, and remembering that the 22nd Psalm had prophesied, this is what the soldiers would do. I tried to give a testimony one time to a very close friend of mine, and he laughed about me believing the Bible. And when I spoke of the fact of the prophets of the Old Testament were fulfilling the New Testament, he just scorned me. And then when I spoke of the fact that our Lord on the cross fulfilled the prophecy of the 22nd and 69th Psalm, he laughed and he said, well, he said, you are certainly naive. Don't you know that Jesus was a Jew and these were Jews who were crucifying him? They knew the Old Testament and he knew the Old Testament. When he quoted the verses, they followed suit. I said, I see. Please tell me, who told the Roman soldiers to gamble over his garments? They didn't know the Bible. They didn't know the Psalms. They, weren't, they didn't care one thing about the Jews. Who told these Roman soldiers to gamble over his garments? Why didn't David, 1,000 years B.C., declare that? They would gamble over his garments. Friend, you ever think of it? My friend had nothing to say, by the way. He just walked away and left me. I tell you, friends, you can trust your word of God. You can trust the word of God. They gambled over his garment. They fulfilled 
the 22nd Psalm. Just one further word. Just one further word. While the soldiers are doing that, can I inject what we have in Matthew and Luke and Mark? All three of them speak of it. Matthew and Mark say, the centurion standing to one side, this man who this man who was in charge of the crucifixion of Christ, said in Matthew's gospel, surely this was the Son of God. In Luke's gospel, he said, truly this was a righteous man. Since when, friend, did a Roman soldier ever call one crucified righteous? And since when did a pagan soldier say this was the Son of God? I just suggest this to your thinking, for I personally believe that the dying thief on the cross was saved, as spoken of in Luke 23, and I believe the centurion also. It's not mentioned here in John, but nevertheless, uh, in Matthew and in Luke, and I'm just picking up this question of them fulfilling Scripture and of the centurion and his testimony concerning our Savior. Let me close again today with asking you the question, what will you do with Jesus, who is called Christ? The Jews said, crucify him. Pilate, you gave him up to be crucified. What do you say? May God grant that you and I will know something of a Savior who is able to save you and me, even to the uttermost. And the Lord bless you today for his name's sake. Write to us with your comments and your prayer requests to The Unchanging Word, P.O. Box 398, Dallas, Oregon, 97338. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word radio broadcast. Life begins at Calvary, my